I just want to thank all of our friends and family members and even strangers who have been listening to the show. Thank you so much for your feedback. We have a Gmail, right? We have a Proton mail because I have strong feelings about data privacy. <laughs> it is undergodpod at protonmail.com. Feel free to email us with any questions, comments. I'm Jackie Newsom. I'm Isaiah Lewis. This is Under God. And our goal is to help people engage the biblical text and use a prayer practice called Lectio Divina. You want to jump in here, Isaiah? Yeah. So basically, it's the practice of reading not just for content, like what happened, but we read the text slowly as a way to really savor what is in there for it. To try to see what we can learn, what we can gain, what we feel, what stands out to us. Exactly. The way that we like to engage Lectio Divina is to read the scripture twice. But for our purposes on the podcast, we are only going to read it once. We then are going to talk about context. And give a little background to the scriptures, which is what I think gives this podcast a great Bible study feel. Uh, So we've done a good amount of research before we even jump on and recording together. We are both seminary educated folks, so we are experts, wink, wink. So we use resources that we've been taught and trained to use to help us understand the text and help us tell you a bit more about what underlies it. So after we give some context, we start with the things that feel like they're most speaking to our lives right now. This becomes a space where we can think about what is God saying, not just to, for example, the ancient Israelites. There's a connection there between those two things. It's not just one or just the other. So that's why we like to do it together, because we're sharing our lives in addition to sharing these texts with each other. And we want to share with you. So I think one of the biggest things to remember is that reading the Bible and engaging in Lectio Divina, even when we do our research, this is not an objective task. It matters what's going on in our lives and in the world, and it matters to us what's going on with you. Let's get started. What are we doing today, Isaiah? So this is a special episode. We're going to be talking about Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. It's a 40-day period on the church calendar that leads up to Easter, which is the biggest holiday in the Christian year. That's when we remember Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection. Ash Wednesday is the day where that kind of starts. And uh, what better way to start off a really important holiday than remembering that you're going to die? That's what Ash Wednesday is is ultimately about is remembering that as human beings, everybody is born and everybody's going to die. We don't really like to think about that because it it scares us. But one of the things that's, at least for me, kind of peculiarly comforting is having a time every year where you can just sort of hold that. And it's it's not something to run away from. It's something that that God is with you through even that acknowledgement. I really like Ash Wednesday, and so I wanted to read the traditional text from Matthew for today. Matthew 6 versus, so the lectionary, so the schedule that a lot of people use to figure out what to read in a given church. Lots of churches use it. Some churches don't. It's fine either way. They will usually say for today, for Ash Wednesday, to read Matthew 6 verses verses 1 through 6, and then to skip to 16 through 
18, but I think that's weird because in the middle is the Lord's Prayer, and I think that it matters that the Lord's Prayer is in the middle there. So I kind of want to talk about that too. Again, we are reading Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18. We're going to go straight through. Be careful that you don't practice your religion in front of people to draw their attention. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Whenever you give to the poor, don't blow your trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may get praise from people. I assure you, that's the only reward they'll get. But if you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you may give to the poor in secret. Your Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that people will see them. I assure you, that's the only reward they'll get. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is present in that secret place. Your Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't pour out a flood of empty words as the Gentiles do. They think that by saying many words, they'll be heard. Don't be like them, because your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us the ways we have wronged you, just as we forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your sins. And when you fast, don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites. They distort their faces so people will know they are fasting. I assure you that they have their reward. When you fast, brush your hair and wash your face. Then you won't look like you are fasting to people but only your father who sees in secret will reward you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We're going to take a moment to think about words and phrases that stand out to us. And uh, this would be a great time to pause if you would like to think about what are some of the words and phrases that stand out to you. The forgiveness thing, the, the conditional sounding nature of the forgiveness stood out to me. The number of times that the word secret shows up. More fasting. Oh, fasting stood out to me. <laughs> Hypocrites. Hypocrites. A flood of empty words. As the Gentiles do stood out to me. There's a lot of your father. Yeah, there's a whole lot of your father. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Just the first verse, be careful that you don't practice your religion in front of people to draw their attention. The CEB translation of the Lord's Prayer. Do you have any context? Both in the Jewish tradition and in what at the time was still a developing, if you will, Christian tradition, this idea of how to pray and how to fast were um, important, significant notions. And so anyone at the time who was following Jesus, regardless of how they identified, could gain from, from this notion or this text. 
whenever we read this text for Ash Wednesday, we usually take out the Lord's Prayer and we just talk about, you know, don't be an actor, don't pray just to be seen praying. But I don't think that it makes as much sense if you don't include the Lord's Prayer in the middle of it, because the Lord's Prayer is telling us, instead of saying, this is what you don't do, it's saying, here's what God wants for God's people. In the whole Sermon on the Mount, there are a lot of places where Jesus is being really provocative. And he says things that, you know, if you take them literally, they're terrifying. Uh But he's just trying to shake folks into paying attention. Like he really just wants you to not be sleeping on what he has to say. And so he's like, I will use, like, do you need me to tell you to chop your arm off in order for you to pay attention? Because I will tell you to chop your arm off. Doesn't mean I actually want you to. But if that's going to wake you up, then that's what I'm going to say. And I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if fasting is sort of, in some ways, kind of part of that of like, and something that help yourself wake up to the ways in which you are always reliant on God's grace and God's mercy to care for your needs. It seems like that. And it like that paired with an understanding that God does care about your needs because immediately afterwards, still in chapter six, we have this really beautiful passage about like what about the flowers what about the birds like Mm -hmm. god cares for them and they don't you know they don't have any sense they're just Mm -hmm. there how much more then does god care about Mm -hmm. your needs and so i think paired with that understanding that god does care about your body and that you have good things to eat that you have housing that you have the things that you need in order to be a healthy whole human being it can be helpful. Give us this day, like our daily bread. Give us the bread we need for today, which goes pairs really well with, therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I agree with you 100%. The most I knew about Ash Wednesday was that we use the palms from like the, or right? Like the palm branches or whatever from the year before. What's Palm Sunday? There's some scriptures in the Bible that talk about Jesus coming to town and people are like waving these palms at him being like, yes, you the real MVP. We rock with you Um, before, of course, everyone turns their back and betrays him. And so we like, I don't know, my church, we have these palms, right? And we go to church and we wave them around and we sing Hosanna forever. We worship you. And people get to like take them home and some people like fold them into crosses um but it's just a it's it's a function of of a remembrance of the text right or is it something deeper which part does like the palm part well yeah i mean it's like so so that happens right before holy week Uh, palm sunday is sort of kicks off holy week if you will um and so like you said people are are so excited about the messiah because they think he's going to come in kick butt take names and he does not do what they're expecting and so they turn on him because they're like you were supposed to free us from rome and jesus is like yeah i sort of am though and they're like no not like that not like that and so then yeah they 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 turn on him like the text says you know crucify him crucify him so like the reason why we burn the palms is it's kind of a reminder even in this passage of like how quickly we can turn 
and trying to kind of get honest with ourselves about like our fickle nature and I'm, I'm trying to find a way to say that that doesn't sound solely punitive because I, I don't think it is well I'll say this in perhaps a perverse way I think it enables us to see the goodness of God because throughout the text Old Testament and New Testament time and time again humans are fickle we can we, we freak out about things right? We get directives and don't honor them. We and get scared, yeah. We get scared, we get worried, we get anxious, and time and time again, God continues to show up with grace and mercy, and I feel like that is a beautiful, it just helps us remember, like, we're not perfect, and in that way, I think it's, it's a beautiful reminder, like, oh, you are human, and of course, when we talk about ashes, for me, it's difficult to think about to separate Ash Wednesday from funeral services. Mm -hmm. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Yeah. And that's what we say. Like, uh, remember that you are dust and to dust you will return. Like, yeah. And how often do you get a chance? To remember your humanity in a way that is less traumatic than sitting in a funeral, at least for me personally, to remember your mortality in a way that is gentle, right? And loving and surrounded in community. And you're, you're not in a personal or communal crisis. It really does matter to look around the room and to see an X, to see a cross marked on every, everyone, like every, everyone you love is at some point going to die and like on the one hand that's such a sad thought for me it's such a heavy thought like even these little kids right and on the other hand to know that right now that they are alive and I get to celebrate them right and that God wants life for all of us God does not will death God wills life God comes for us to live and to save us from the things that cause death in our lives. Um, and that starts with acknowledging that there is death all around us, all around us, all the time. And we can't get to life without acknowledging and encountering and embracing to some extent the death that, that surrounds us, to see it for what it is. That feels consistent with the, I don't remember the, chapter but the first corinthians episode that we did mm -hmm. first corinthians 2 where you were talking about if only they knew that they couldn't kill life itself like they couldn't you know like you can't quench life mm -hmm. that feels consistent to me mm -hmm. and and what good news that is even in the midst of reflecting on death and still, I don't understand why this scripture is helpful. So maybe I need you to repeat yourself. But also, I'm having a hard time. Like, So you see what I'm doing is I'm jumping from Ash Wednesday to Palm Sunday to, and I guess I haven't said this explicitly, to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I've skipped a whole lot of days in between. And I, again, I just, I'm not seeing how this text gets us to that. What does this have to do with Ash Wednesday? What does this have to do with, because like, and I, I feel like even the things that we started talking about, remembering 
mortality, right? Remembering your humanity. What does that have to do with the scripture? I don't get it. Well, earlier you were saying like fasting, right? And prayer and redistributing wealth are kind of the main things that happen during Lent. So are you saying this is it this text is used because it's an outline for how Lent works, not necessarily because it speaks to literally to Ash Wednesday? Well, Ash Wednesday isn't something that you find in the Bible. It's it's Say a Say it again. Say it again. Ash Wednesday isn't something that you find in the Bible. It's a church tradition and it's helpful. So we start with acknowledging like we are screwed without God in so many ways. And this is part of how we acknowledge it. And weirdly, with this text that says don't be performative, we sort of act out a reminder of how screwed we actually are in a way that is, at least for me, really moving and really helpful, like really healing. And then after that, for 40 days, we have this opportunity to work towards increasing our understanding of how God is is working through the world and through us and to do that in a way that is more intentional perhaps than we do in other times during the year. Easter is the most important Christian holiday, right? And so Lent is the 40 days to Easter, which is when we celebrate Jesus's resurrection from the dead. Why is Lent understood to be about money, prayer, and fasting? So it's not scriptural per se but like deep church tradition where do the 40 days come from i don't know for 40 days you know yeah there's just 40 days everywhere 40 days in the bible just means like a lot a lot right but i also feel like if i'm using my imagination like jesus prepares for his ministry right he's driven into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and so i wonder if there's a tie there because like he doesn't eat anything during that period of time. Listen, I was just I was just about to go there. Like yeah. <laughs> word. I think it's super consistent with what we do during Lent. Like there's a fasting, there's a prayer, and there's like this sort of shock to the authority, which I think often manifests in society in the form of money or like monetary power and stability. Yeah. I mean, this is not late in Jesus' ministry, the Sermon on the Mount is one of the first things he does. So he gets baptized. Then he immediately is driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, which is terrifying to me still. Okay, so I'm going to read this. Read it. This is chapter four, starting with verse one. Then the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. The tempter came to him and said, Since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It's written, People won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. After that, the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him at the highest point of the temple. He said, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down, for it is written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus replied, again it's written, don't test the Lord your God. Then the devil brought him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I'll give you all of these if you bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, go away, Satan, because it's written, you will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil left him, and the angels came and took care of him. 
that's Lent. Like what you just read is Lent. It's like this provocation to practice your religion in public, right? To do something showy. It's this charge on your money, right? Or this call on greed or power or wealth. It's this isolated prayer time. It's this fasting time. It's all of the things. Yeah. And at the same time, like one of the things I love is that Jesus is like, people won't live only by bread. But then in the Lord's prayer, it's like, yeah, but bread though. So it's like a both and. It's like bread is necessary, but not sufficient, Mm -hmm. which is helpful. Mm -hmm. It's not like Jesus is like, so I'm super holy. So I'm never going to eat bread and nobody else needs to worry about eating food. Like if you get on my level, you're not going to worry about your physical needs. Jesus says the opposite. God cares about your physical needs, but like part of that is understanding who's that belongs to to begin with. And it's not yours to hoard. So other people can't have any. It's God's so that God can take care of everybody's needs. There's some really good encouragement to end deficit language here, to end this sort of idea that that we're living in lack and to decide that you live in abundance and the freedom that comes with believing that you live in abundance makes you less stingy in my view. Mm. And so I see that being a valuable thing that comes out of the Lenten season, right? If you're not afraid that you'll have nothing, if you don't feel like you have to hoard, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't feel like empire is going to take it away from you, right? If, If you feel like the power exists to sustain you in all the ways that you need, how freely will you live? Mm-hmm. And how freely will you give and how freely will you praise and how how freed up will your time and energy and your mind be? But that's whatever, an aside. I don't think it is. I think it's really powerful. I think it's really powerful. And I, I just think about, so it's been rainy here in Atlanta and cold and just miserable, especially if you're if you're living outside right now. It's just like a really terrible time. The library on Ponce is closed and that's where a lot of folks seek safety and shelter. So it's just like, it's been a rough patch for the last few weeks at Mercy at at my church. And there's this moment that really touched me. I think it was last week. So there is a member of the church who I'm going to call D who went around. So cigarettes are like cigarettes are are a hot commodity. Like mm-hmm. you, you want a cigarette. Um, and people typically charge about 50 cents per cigarette. So this guy goes around during the kind of fellowship time after our prayer service. And he's somebody who has some pretty significant mental health challenges. And he most of the time seems to be engaging another world more than the one that everyone else around him is engaging, right? And so in this moment when everybody is miserable and everybody is just anxious and mad, he's just walking around offering people one by one a cigarette. He has a full pack and he's just like giving them away, approaching each person and asking them, do you want a cigarette? And it's this complicated image, right? Because on the one hand, a cigarette is not gonna solve the fact that everybody's sopping wet and angry and anxious. And they're not very good for you. And on the other hand, it's this beautiful gift, like this beautiful gift of caring for other people and seeing that they are stressed and to provide some comfort and to give that gift freely when, you know, he could be charging whatever he wanted to charge. Because probably if they had it, folks would 
would buy them off of them, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just kind of, I've been thinking about that a lot and how to live more like that. And I feel like that it not solving all the problems is why I said, you know, a few minutes ago, well, that's kind of an aside because it's like, well, having this like abundant attitude doesn't change in many ways the reality of empire. And I just didn't want to be oversimplifying really big problems and really big issues that cause people to live in fear of lack. Yeah. All of that is so real and so grinding and, and folks see it every day. You see it every day. And I see it most days and it's hard. And also it makes all the difference in the world. If somebody offers you a cigarette. Right. Right. In In the midst of all of that. There is a shelter near my house and assuming that I am getting to work on time. And there, so there are folks standing around uh, on the sidewalk as I'm walking by. And it is so important to me that I say good morning, recognizing how I present, right? I have business formal clothes on, right? Like not even business casual, a frankly expensive coat on. Some days I have my faux pearls in my you know, ears and around my neck. And it is so important to, like to me, I cannot go work at the public defender's office and not engage the folks that I'm passing by on the street. And like seeing people shift when someone who presents like me speaks to them is like, this has to be what fellowship is about. Mm. Like this has to be, this is, this is the, as close as I'm going to get to giving them a cigarette. Like I see you mm-hmm. and we're in community. We live real close to one another. Mm-hmm. You know, you're my neighbor. Good morning. Yeah. And I'll, you know, you know me, I throw a little flirt on it. <laughs> Good morning. Okay. You know, like, but it's like, yeah, because you're human. That's really good. Thank you for sharing that, Isaiah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Let's see if I can summarize the things I want to say about this text. So be careful that you don't practice your religion in front of people to draw their attention. This does not say don't practice your religion in front of people. Right. It's talking about intentionality. It's talking about what is compelling your behavior. And I think, and I just feel like we've covered that. Like you can practice your religion in front of people. Just don't do it because you want some attention. If it connects you to God and to other human beings, like there is nothing wrong with demonstrating that connection and like the recognition that we are connected. It's when you're putting on a show that it's obnoxious and it's not doing anybody any good. And I think ritual, I know, shout out to Dr. Nicole Phillips, ritual is different from performance. Mm -hmm. Sacred ritual, sacred tradition is different from performance. And that's why I think Ash Wednesday is not a contradiction to the text. Because, you know, at its best, it is sacred ritual. It's testimony. Um, Like testimony matters. Testimony is how people heal, how people get over, how people know that hope exists. Testimony is, is sometimes the closest you're going to get to seeing the power of God. Mm-hmm. And like that matters, that ritual testimony, that ritual, like that ritual performance and in, in, in that sacred way, that matters. And that's life-giving and that's changing, like evokes memory. I mean, it's just, there's so many things. And again, I cannot talk about this without thinking about enslaved Africans. I can't think about this without talking about, you know, Black folk who have a really rich oral tradition where you sit around and talk and you don't do so just to hear yourself speak. 
Mm-hmm. But because there is power in your testimony, because there is power in the ritual of whatever, you know, of whatever it may be, because there is learning um, and there is revelation in that space. Mm-hmm. And so that in light of how you've enlightened me on Ash Wednesday, like it's like, OK, that's what we're talking about here. This whole scripture that we read is about getting close to God. I think in the commentary that I read, uh, I've referred to it, it's the Hermeneia. What the author of that commentary is explaining to us is that, well, what is being written in this section of Matthew is sure words from Jesus that are perhaps hyperbole, right? But are meant to, as you said, make the point. Like it's not about the details here. It's not about not telling people that you're fasting. It's not about not letting, you know, one hand know what the other one is doing. It's not like to take that as gospel, <laughs> right? Pun intended. To take that as instruction is to miss the point. And I think it's interesting, like, again, who is Jesus addressing here? Like, when we look at the Beatitudes, when we look at, okay, it's the hungry people, it's the people who are getting beaten down, it's the people who are yearning for justice. Like, those are the same people who he's saying, like, God will take care of your needs, and also you take care of each other's needs. Like, that's part of how God will work, is through your action and through your attention to each other's needs. And I think it's a mistake to read when you pray, don't pour out a flood of empty words as don't say a lot of things or don't ask God for things. The Lord's prayer is a floor, right? It's a guide. It is not a ceiling. If you have a need, ask. If you have a lament, a complaint, share it. If you have a desire, confess it. I cannot see Jesus telling us, don't open your mouth and commune with God in the way that you need to. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful kind of reminder. And, you know, on the one hand, we've we've got this language of father that in some ways can be kind of frustrating, right? Because we are living in a patriarchal culture where in a time and place in which men have been able to dominate and particularly cisgender men and with a lot of even further caveats about money and physicality and and what have you. And that can really, in addition to our own family histories, complicate the idea of God as a father. That being said, the language that Jesus is using here, if you say Abba, like God's going for daddy. This is supposed to be an intimate, loving relationship. And you talk with folks that you love. So it makes sense to me when you're when you're talking about don't hold back, like talk to God, be honest, pay attention to what God wants, because God wants wholeness and well-being for you and everybody. Just don't bullshit, because that's not how you build a relationship. And that's not how things change. Like, if your goal is to be seen, your reward is to be seen. If your goal is to be in relationship, then be honest, you know, and go there. And I think that's maybe the difference. Like when I show up and talk with you, if I just said a bunch of stuff that I thought maybe you wanted to hear, maybe that would make you happy. But probably if you found out that I was just like saying whatever I thought would make you smile and not telling you the truth, that might well even more hurt your feelings because I wasn't trusting you with what's 
going on with me, you know? Nor would I feel respected, which side note, because I'm messy boots is a word for potential suitors out there. That's how you, <laughs> this is how you behave in a relationship. <clears throat> Please continue. <laughs> Helpful hints from Jackie. Because, and my pastor, shout out to Elle Babington, was like, I once had this conversation with her and she was like, you might as well spend your time talking to God about what's actually on your mind. Right. Because you don't need to protect God from anything. Like what you're actually doing is trying to protect your own reputation from God, which doesn't make any sense because God knows you. Like, right. And God isn't judging you in the sense of like that jerk over there. Like all he can think about is himself or whatever. Like, no, it's not the, the case that necessarily like, oh, if you pray for the car hard enough and you mean it then you're gonna get it but like you can ask you yeah. do I think so I think this this idea of like well I want to protect my image from God you're worried about your reputation or God like God being mad at you yeah or that sort of thing goes directly into a little bit of verse 12 but a lot of 14 and 15 with what may feel like this quid pro quo this something for something forgiveness language mm -hmm. that I think is if taken literally is incredibly problematic. I want to give credit where credit is due. And so I read this awesome article by J. Mark Beach. It's called Forgiving Like God, Some Reflections on the Idea of Conditional Forgiveness. And around page 16, he does a beautiful job of explaining, or they, I guess I don't know their identity, but they do a great job of explaining how absurd it is in light of everything else uh, we may believe about God, that God's forgiveness is conditional or can be earned or like you can be right enough to get it. Like all of these things are like really dangerous, slippery slope. That can't be true. And the way we know that can't be true is because we get to look at, at God's behavior mm -hmm. before and after this verse. And God's behavior is inconsistent with how this reads in English. And because of that, and because we get to count on God's actions, right, in history and in the present, we know that this can't possibly be a quid pro quo. Mm -hmm. So what is this? Well, it's another example of the hyperbole. It's another example of Jesus catching the attention of folks, trying to explain to people how important it is to forgive one another. But what we know by Jesus's death on the cross, what we know about God's continuous sacrifices, grace and mercy, what we know about the promise that grace and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives, what we know is that God's forgiveness exists for us. It cannot be earned. We can't work hard enough for it. We can't do, act right enough for it. It will be there for us. How are we going to treat other people? Yes, God. And then we could, of course, get into what does sin mean. And I think we, we have talked about this a little bit. Um, I think people get caught up in sin being sort of those commandments that come down on those tablets that end up getting broken versus, <laughs> versus being about relationship. And my position is sin is about relationship. Sin is, a, sin is about a checklist. Sin is about relationship with one another and relationship with God. I always love getting to the part of the show in which one of us decides to preach because <laughs> it's my favorite part. And it happens every time. Every time. You just gotta you just gotta wait until somebody hits a vein and then just goes. <laughs> it's like 
It's amazing. So entering into this time of Lent with all of its complexity and everything that it means, life together and death and God's presence through all of it, go. Live as free people. And keep the faith, baby. Under God was created by Jackie Newsom and Isaiah Lewis. Our music is by Broke for Free. You know, my ears perk up when I hear murder.